Are you conscious of your addiction? Refuse to be defined by it? Not satisfied with living your life on the surface? Are you drawn to deeper meaning and purpose? And believe that it's possible to grow through your addiction to experience true freedom? Well, welcome home. Share the journey from addiction to freedom with your host, Michael Gregory. So welcome everyone to Addiction to Freedom. Today we have spoken with, uh, had a really interesting conversation with Alex. He runs the Cold Turkey podcast. And before I really introduce him, I just want to say that the journey that he took us on was really a journey of his, how he kind of, I guess, accidentally almost became attracted to being high at a very young age, you know, as a young boy just by accident almost, and then how that kind of crept in and into his life and became more and more disruptive and more and more destructive actually over many, many years until he came to what he calls the, the, the kind of the cold turkey moment, and which was quite traumatic. I really encourage you to, to listen all the way through to that. And then, then to experience his healing, which really came through camaraderie of others and, and, and being able to share, mutually share experiences together in conversation through the 12 step program to the point where, like he says, you know, there's the kind of magic of being understood with somebody else, you know, that has understands you somehow frees you and it frees you from all of the kind of negative emotions like guilt and shame and things like that. And we also touched on talking about how instead of using drug to deal with the issues of life, developing, I guess, other emotion, you know, more healthy emotional skills creates a real freedom and a real healing, a deeper healing. So I really encourage you to watch this whole or, or listen to this whole episode. It takes a while to get going, but I promise you it's gold. All right. Well, having said that, I'll, I'll um, let you enjoy the episode. Well, welcome back. This is Addiction to Freedom. And today we have a very special guest. We have Alex from the Cold Turkey podcast. He's been doing that podcast for quite some time now. And we first met when I was a guest on his podcast. So that was maybe we were just trying to work that out maybe six months ago. So now it's my turn to to dig into Alex's brain. <laughs> so welcome, Alex, and thanks for being hey, here. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. Yeah. So tell me, how's the podcast been going? It's a slow growth, right? Like it's quite a niche podcast that I have. It's a, it's a conversation-based podcast on, on people turning their lives around. It's not, you know, like I don't necessarily have celebrities you know, like I've, I've had some, which are more French speaking, it's a bilingual podcast, you know, like, so some episodes are in French, some some episodes are in English. I'm located near Montreal in Canada. So sure enough, the people that I've reached, some of the more public figures were, were French speaking people. But it's not about that, you know, like, and, and the, there's really something you can see in each and every episode. It's only the first name. I don't want to, you know, I like kind of publicize or leverage the celebrity of the people I have on. And yeah, you know, like, so, so it's a, it's a steady growth. 
it is not something that I expect to be exploding or, or I see peaks when I do get people that are more well-known or do publicize more of it on their social medias. But again, for me, it's not, it's not about that. Like it yeah. really get to get, it's funny because last week I was with someone that had done a few podcasts, which he talked a lot about what he went through. And um, I actually just referred to those podcasts to the people listening to mine saying, go listen to that one, you know, like hear his story and then listen to mine where I go further and deeper into whatever subject matter I wanted to cover. But, you know, like I, I, I won't repeat like the same old story that, the, you know, like that, that public personality has been repeating on in every media. So, so you started the podcast, I guess, as a kind of a, a growth out of your own recovery, didn't you? Absolutely. And it's, it's funny because, you know, like I'm first and foremost, I'm a geek at art, you know, like I'm, I'm really am a guy that loves technology that loves working. I love listening to podcasts myself. You know, like So, so it was initially, it was kind of a, almost like my small geeky project I wanted to launch. And I didn't know what I wanted to talk about. I was just like, okay, I work in technology, so maybe I could cover that. But then again, there's a lot of people that do that. And I remembered that while I love and, and do cover, you know, like every subject matter that I, you know, like that, that I'm passionate about, you know, like being like true crime docs, you know, like, so, so I love my true crime podcast. I love stand-up comics. So I do have my, my stand-up comic podcast, but it came to sobriety. I couldn't find anything that I liked. It was like I told you when I got you on, it was either two end of spectrum. There was one side of it, which was quite niche and, you know, like to a point where it was, I don't know, like Alcoholics Anonymous Melbourne Weekly, for example. And so if you didn't know the vocabulary of those meetings, if you didn't know anything, you know, like you couldn't, you know, like it was almost unlistenable, you know, like so... And at the other end, it was the, and I, you know, like I say it as a joke, but you know, like the full-blown namaste, yoga class taking, you're like really, really almost too clean for me. You know, like I was like, I'm not. <laughs> so, and, and then it kind of struck me. I'm like, okay, I'm just, I'm, I'm going to have a casual talk about what ended up for the, you know, like rock and roll life to a point where they had that quote unquote cold turkey moment, which is like, I have had enough, I need to turn around, even though they probably made hundreds of promises that they would stop hundreds of times where they were thinking to themselves that they need to quit, leave, change, and so on. There's one moment in particular that for, well, I've been doing it for two years, I'm, 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 I'm recording my 140th episode we still don't know why, and I don't know why and what happens, but there's a moment where it ends. Sometimes it's dramatic. Sometimes it isn't. Sometimes it's super casual and super, but that day, it, you know, like they've never looked back again if, after that. You know, like so. Right. That, me, that, that cold turkey moment. Yep. So you must have had one of those. I did. I did. So my story is not, you know, like, it's not a story where, you know, like people, some people are, are, do have like, I would say almost like crazier story, even though, you know, like you can't really like, um, range that or, 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 you know, like put, put a level on that. But I was typical party animal 
mostly booze and weed, a lot of weed, a ton of weed. You know, like so. So in my youth, this is so odd because you know, like there's there's there, there was a lot of alcohol, especially on my mother's side. It was a lot of alcohol. My father has you know, like no, no, none of those genes. You know, like of of, of that genetics of you know, like addiction. But on my mom's side, you know, like there was a lot. So my first experience with, I would say first and foremost that, you know, like I do truly believe that I'm, I'm first and, and before everything, I'm an obsessive and compulsive individual naturally. Right. You know, like whatever the substance event, I do am craving for that jolt of, you know, like that, 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 that I always describe this as like the, the, feeling you got when you were a kid and your father or your mom would say tomorrow we're going to the amusement park or you know like your christmas eve you know like like that <gasps> that feeling always craving for that so before anything else you know like before alcohol before weed before all of that i would i have that experience that it was springtime and my father asked me to empty the gasoline tanks of their snowmobiles into like a five gallon jar. So he had like a tube and showed me how to pull on it. And, you know, like it would, it would transfer to, to that five gallon. He, I'm was, probably six, he was siphoning the, the, the gas you know, yeah. petrol from one big container into a small container. Exactly. How old were you? Maybe six, seven, eight, you know, like yeah. times were different. Right. But, but at the same time, my father was kind of showing me, in some ways, like a physics lesson of, you know, like doing that, that cipher, you know, like, so I realized that if I missed a few times, like two, three times, I would get high at 46 year old today. I'm still convinced that over 95% of kids would have been scared shitless and stopped doing it. I didn't. I repeated the accident. Right. You know, to, to get, to get, <laughs> when you were what, you know, five, six, seven, eight, you started to get a like a taste for the high associated with yeah, uh, with the with the uh, ga- gas or petrol fumes. Yeah, exactly. Which I didn't know what was going on. Didn't know, but it was you know like uh, for anyone that you know. And I've I've talked since I've talked to people that had the, this type of addiction to gasoline fumes. And they told me that's a big high, you know, like you get, it's a strong and tough high to be on. So I was six, seven years old, didn't know anything about drugs, didn't know, I'd never seen anyone high, though I wanted to recreate it. And I remember my father catching me kind of like probably buzzed and and like on the snowmobile seat, he was like, what, what's going on? You know, like, and, and I was like, like almost nauseated and. It's like, okay, you know, I didn't know what was going on really, but saw that, you know, something was going on. And as a good father that he is, you know, like just pulled me out of there. And, you know, like that was, that was the end of the story. You know, like we never talked about it. We never, it, it's much later that I remembered that event, you know, like so. And to come back to that obsessive compulsive feeling, I stole a lot from my parents. You know, like I stole a lot of money from my parents. So my parents were, would go on Thursday evenings for groceries. And he would leave me to, I was the oldest of, of brother and sister. And 
he would leave me to my brother and sister to look for them. And I would just dismantle because my father was to a point where he would put locks and I would go with, you know, like some, some air pins and whatever, and try to dismantle those locks. And it was all about getting that feeling that high of not getting caught or, and so that was, again, that was before, you know, like there was, there was, there were parties that I remember that, you know, like you had that uncle that would just like give you like that shot. And, but it, I was not thirsty necessarily for it because for me, it was something that I knew of really, mm. but that high. But you're saying that it's not just the, the drug high, like external drug, but there was kind of in a way, you know, excitement or yeah. the excitement of anticipating something good or the kind of thrill of getting away with something bad that you shouldn't have, let's say that, was also a kind of an, a high for you. It was. Yeah. It was. And still today, you know, like it's something that I need to be careful with. You know, like it, it still today, you know, like if I, if I train, I can train myself to hurting myself. If I stop training, I can stop training in to a point of gaining 50, 60 pounds, you know, like, so, you know, like it's always extremes when I did smoke. I would smoke two packs a day. When I stopped, you know, like, you know, like it was, I became almost like super intolerant. And, you know, like, and, you know, like it's funny because, you know, like for the cigarette, I started vaping and just, I just actually just defined myself as a hard and heavy smoker. And my best alternative was vaping because I, I actually decided to go for vaping because I was smoking. I was, I was to a point where, I transferred my my cigarette addiction to cigars and I was smoking something like 300 400 bucks of cigars a week wow. which which tells you you know like I'm you know like I need to be super careful about every single time about the extremes and so it's just I strongly believe it's just a gene in me you know like it's just a way and so what sobriety causes is the ability to identify those moments much quicker to talk to yourself much in a more accepting way, you know, less violent and less, you know, like more, more welcoming. And yeah, you know, like and it goes, it's good for that, you know, like recreating that is good for sex. It's good with finance, you know, like it's good with, you know, like you can fuck it up and sorry about that, but you know, like you can actually screw it up with everything. Yeah. So you know, I really, I really want to dig into that, what those thoughts that you've got around, reflecting back on it now that you've been sober for 16 years but let's say from my side I'm quite a curious as to like I'm still back with you when you were eight yeah yeah <laughs> you know? so what happened after that where, where did so, it lead after that exactly so small you know like, like I said you know like uh, stealing a bit from my parents and so on and so forth and um eventually not eventually. My father was like, a, he tried to craft his own wine. Oh, yeah. You know, and so my had, grandfather did that too. Yeah. So he had those wild cherries at our country house and he picked the wild cherries and tried to do some kind of Porto or whatever. You know, like it was kind of a strong wine. It tasted like crap. Like it was really, really bad wine. So there were cases of that bad batch of wine pretty much left there in the basement. 
So I would steal a bottle and go at our schoolyard and drink out of these. Then again, it was a mix, you know, like it wasn't just about getting drunk. It was about sealing the freaking bottle and get away with it and getting drunk out of it. I was a bright kid, you know, like I was a kid that had facility at school, you know, like I was, you know, like, so my parents made me, made me read a lot, do a lot of stuff that was like out of school, but you know, like just, I read a lot. When I very, very early in my teens, my parents made me read two books that were like life story of drug addiction, which ended their both of them and really, really bad. You know, like both of them, I think they die or, you know, like it's really violent. You know, like they're, they're tough books. One is called Christian F. I, I, I mentioned the French translation and the other one is like a blue herb or herbe bleu. And then again, you know, like those two are really hardcore, true life stories of drug addict. And so I was really against it. Come high school, I met with someone that was super cool. I, you know, like I, I since I was a nerd in, in elementary school, I didn't want to be that, you know, like, so, so I pushed that away by fighting a lot and, you know, like, you know, like picking many fights, like at my first year and found like the skater punks were the ones that I kind of found myself getting along with the most kind of the outsider, a bit like not badass, but you know, like there was something about it that I liked. So one of these guys, same name as me, the guy's name Alex as well, very similar in terms of looks like the good, good school boy, but was like really a little piece of shit outside of school. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, like, so that guy was way more, not necessarily deeper, but you know, like way more advanced in, in experimenting. And so a lot of peer pressure around, you know, like you should try, you should try, you should try. And I maybe tried once or twice, but then again, you know, like not really catching what was the buzz all about it. You know, like especially weed, go to college or the equivalent, probably the equivalent of senior years in the U.S. We have what, what is called CIGEP, which is like a two or three year program that's in between high school and university and college. I didn't know where the hell I wanted to go, but one thing, you know, like I wanted to try art, which is odd. There's no artists in my family, but I love art. I think I truly have an artistic mind or you know, like kind of a weird mind, which was like a bad choice because even though, you know, like I had an artistic mind, I'm not good at it. You know, like I'm not good at drawing. I'm not good at painting, even less so at sculpting or, you know, like whatever. And it wasn't about teaching us art, it was about teaching us how to compete in art, which is <laughs> subtle, but important difference. <laughs> Massive difference. It, it, that, that almost doesn't kind of resonate with my understanding of what art's all about. Well, there was the history of art, for sure, you know, like in terms of, you know, like some of the mandatory courses, but what I quickly realized that everyone that, that were accepted to that course were actually people that had decent, if not exceptional talent at one of these, you know, like drawing, airbrushing, painting, sculpting, you know, like, and so on. I had none of those skills. So I go in there just thinking, okay, it's going to be like one-on-one of drawing. They're like, well, here's like a, here's a horse guys, you know, like show us your best interpretation of a horse. You know, like, I'm like, what the, you know, like I, I didn't know what to do with that, but we had like a, empty classroom, which was kind of a, the art 
fraternity hangout place within that college. And I would skip so many classes only because I was discouraged at what, you know, like I couldn't do any, nothing in there. So, and then started to smoke much more weed, you know, like a lot of weed. So I left college, not knowing what I wanted to do in my life, but with, you know, like just loving that buzz of weed. I self-learned myself how to be, to work in IT, but it just didn't stop. You know, like it just grew and grew and grew on me. Alcohol was kind of my side dish, but you know, like my main course was, was definitely cannabis. Got my first kid, made a lot of promises that, you know, like I would stop. So I stopped for about five months. So it was already a problem in my, even in my, in my, in my couple, you know, like in, in my life with my ex at the time, my, my girlfriend at the time. So I stopped for six months, started again after we found a babysitter. And, you know, like it was the first thing I had in mind was to just get blasted. You know? And so during all of that, the course of all of those times, like there was always weed was omnipresent in my life. You know, like cannabis was, you know, like it was always about getting high some way. So it became a problem for everyone but me, money-wise, relation-wise. I mean, on every aspect of my life, it was a problem. And then, so my, my daughter is born in 2001. So that's the second one. Got my first child at, in 97. Got my second one in 2001. And then I just, just hide the fact, I just hid the fact that, you know, like I, I made believe that I was stopping, but I wasn't. So it was just like always behind a curtain. I was just, I would hide everything. And then a few years later, about a year and a half before really stopping, it became clear that, you know, like my girlfriend will, will wanted to leave me. I, I had enough. And so I went to a place, which is kind of a, almost like an out therapy center where, you know, like you stay home, but you, you go there on a weekly basis. Problem with that is that they introduced what they call, how do they call that? I think it's reasonable use or something like that. You know, like some, some messed up concept that I could, if I stop clean cut and wait for a while, I could eventually be reasonable and, and, and use reasonably, oh, which was like, a disaster. It's like using in moderation. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Can Absolutely. I ask you, before yep. you go further, can I ask you about your, the period of hiding how was that for you? How long did you hide everything for? And was that, did you have lots of difficult feelings of like guilt or shame or anything? What you was do. That? Yeah. You do. Yeah. yeah. And, and I, I became a pathological liar about wow. everything. You know, you would get, you know, like here in Quebec, there are like some, some taxes check you can get, you know, like some, some taxes return check that you would get. I would hide these just to buy shit necessarily drugs or alcohol i would you know like buy like i don't know like like monitor for my computer whatever you know like i was i became just a pathological liar for anything sometimes for fucked up you know like small things you know like really like have you changed your shirt no you know like just i just without thinking like well i did you know like what what's wrong with me you know like what so so, so this wasn't your personality before it was more something that it was once you started hiding, 
then it became grow into it, Michael. Pretend other things. I think you grow into it, Michael. Pretending, weren't you? Pretending to be. Yeah, but but you grow you grow into it. You know, like you kind of grow into it. You know, like it's not sudden because, you know, like it's all about, you know, like I told you about like the skater folks, you know, like that, you know, like high school. You make pretend and you know, like you do those little lies or whatever, you know, like you, you know, like it's always about when I was a nerd in elementary, you know, like you would make pretend that, you know, like you're tougher than you really are. I was like, my parents were, you know, like nothing to blame on them, but you know, like, you know, like no one fought, you know, like there was no fight at home. There was like, so I was not, I was nothing of a tough kid. You lie about this, you lie about that, you know, so I just grew into just lying about this but you know like for the hiding in 2001 it was kind of like i would say like almost like the natural not hiding it you know like just like okay i'm not going to promise i will stop i I won't you know like so so it's not necessarily hiding but then in 2004 or three when i went to that place now it became the, the problem was that you know like so you announce to everyone, family, friends, everyone that you go into that therapy place, you know, like, which is outside, but you know, like you just announced that you're going there. So especially in, you know, like in front of your parents, there's a lot of pride and a lot of recognition of what you did. Now, this hiding, when you can't really do what you said you would do, this hiding is this one hurts way more. Because it's so Say, for example, you're like, I I go there the first time. So you have like your first day of sobriety or, you know, like your first day of abstinence. Now, excluding booze, right? You know, like booze was now counted as something, as a substance I should have or was declared as me having problem with. But as far as weed, like that was the culprit of, you know, like the whole thing. So you have one day, two days, you have a week. And then your mom calls you. It's like, wow, I'm so proud of you. You know, congrats. And you're father calls you or father visits you i was living a few blocks from my dad so and for my parents so my father would come visit and say freak i'm so i'm so proud of you you know like so so when you do quote unquote relapse but it's not really relapse because you know like the the kind of the the counselor would you know like the the the, the person that you would meet with the therapist told you that you would be able to go in moderation so you in reality, you do relapse, but you know, like you, you, you're under that impression that you're okay. Right. You don't want to tell it. You know, you don't want to. You don't want to share that. You know, inside you that you 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 can't control that beast, but you know, like you're just like okay. And so I will always remember. I went to therapy on February twenty fifth, two thousand five, and um, my father like during the holidays of that previous year comes and visit me. So I'm in the basement at the time I was doing tech support. So I had like the full bachelor of, uh, of my duplex set up for me to repair computers and do my old thing. There was booze hidden everywhere in that room. People right. didn't know, but there was a, there was a 26 ounce of this, you know, like a, a you know, like there was, there was, there was booze all over the place. There was a fridge which had, I think it was 82 bottles of beer in it. You know, like, so it was just crazy. Actually, that fridge was actually just beer, just alcohol. That sounds like you really didn't want to run out. No. (laughs) No. (laughs) It's like you're making extra efforts. Like a lot of people just go down the street, 
they buy a six pack and you know but you had a whole fridge full exactly and and i had my excuses i had my set of excuses the reason why is that you know like every couple of fridays I would have people come in and play cards with us. You know, like we would play poker home. We would play some, some card games. And so I had my excuse of, oh yeah, the fridge is full, but it's for guests, you know, like, to... <laughs> and so this is just imprinted in my memory that my father comes in. Hey, hey, hi, hi. And he's like, how are you doing with, you know, like that, that weed smoking thing. And I'm like, I'm good. You know, like I'm in control. Everything's fine. You know, like moderation. And you're like, I, I got my lesson. But I know, you know, like I'm, I'm not doing anything of that. And he's like, so, okay, so how much you spend a week? I'm like, Mah. I don't know, like a few bucks. I mean, like just for the sake of, you know, weekends. And I smoke every single freaking day. You know, like I'm from the moment I wake up to the moment I go to sleep. And, um, it's like, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, I would, I think you, you, you're going to have to take care of that. You know, like, and cause he knows, you know, like he knows, well, first of all, my, my girlfriend at the time was just threatening to leave with the kids and you know, like, so she would go, cause she, I, I, I wouldn't listen. So she would go to my parents and complain about that, cry about that and so on and so forth. I had just started to move texting that pretexting that I had too much work. So I had started to move some of my day-to-day -day clothing, you know, like jeans, socks, shirts, you know, like, and downstairs and some plastic shelves because I would, you know, like work so much and smoke so much that, you know, like I would use the bachelor shower and just sleep in my lab, which was an excuse for me to just use much more. So 2005, you need to understand that, you know, like 2004, my son is six, my daughter is three. So for my ex, you know, like, it's just a fucking nightmare, you know, like, it's crazy. And so, yeah, we go through the holidays and I started having some psychosis moments. And I'll explain, you know, like, just like, it's all about ego. You know, like, it's all about like, like if everyone, if like the hurt complete all of the planet is against you it's all about you 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 me 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 poor me poor me poor me so whatever i would i would have like fit of rage for some stupid things you know like let's say you know like i break i don't know whatever break a piece of luggage you know like i have like a you know like a suitcase and you know like the handle breaks i lose my fucking mind i hate the planet, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, like, so I had a few fits of, you know, like a few of these fits. And the year before we go on vacation, my parents were just, they're just, they're angels, you know, like really guardian angels for us, but they pay for vacation in Florida. So we go by car. So I can't, you know, like either whatever, you know, like if I had gone by plane or car, I mean, like I can't bring drugs with me. So for two weeks, I was, I was always drunk, you know, like I was just like dead, almost dead drunk, you know, like I had to pass out drunk every night because else I couldn't sleep, you know, like I was just too, you know, like I had to have, a, you know, like smoke a joint or, or I couldn't sleep. So I, I would pass out drunk, you know, so, so sure enough, like the next day you look like shit, you know, like your face is, you know, like you're just trashed, you know, like you, you, you're bad, you know, like you, 
And so those vacations were really, really bad. And I heard about it. Like I was told, you're like, man, you know, like you, you, and I would have, again, you know, like I would have, I remember my son, you know, like it's, it's sometimes it's just flashes, right? You're like, so we're driving, going down to Florida, which is like a two day ride, right? Like from, from Montreal to Florida, it's about 22, 22 hours. So it's a two day travel. And so we're in the highway and either a FedEx or a UPS trucks passes us by. And I lose my mind over the fact that, you know, like because of me, some packages sent to me were late. I throw some kind of a fit, which I don't remember clearly, but my son told me about it much, many years later, multiple times that he remembers me losing my shit over that UPS truck because me, my package, my, my, you know, like me, 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 for mm-hmm. me, some of my, pe- so I hated UPS or whatever company it was, you know, like, so, mm-hmm. you know, like it, it was just craziness. Mm. so yeah i mean like so those psychosis started to happen more and more often and yeah i mean like 21 days so about around my birthday birthday is about is on february 4th and that was my 30th birthday and no one was there no friends there was no one home i remember my ex saying I tried to call some of your buddies for a surprise birthday and no one could. And I'm like, that's weird. You know, like you don't have 30 years old quite often in your life. You're like, that's fucked up. You know, like I'm, Mm. so that hurt a lot and that hit me bad. You know, like really, really tough. So so what, what hit you there that, that you in your mind felt that you had friends, but, the fact that it didn't turn up showed that there was some big disconnect there. Definitely. Definitely for, for probably on many fronts, you know, like the first being that, you know, like I provide a lot for, you know, like a lot of my friends, you know, like the 82 beers in my fridge is a testimony of that. But there were, there was also like a lot of fronting of weed and fronting, you know, like, so, very little of that list of people were true friends, you know, like, and, and I, I, I probably guess that some of them really couldn't, but bottom line is that, you know, like that, that night, you know, like on February 4th, 2005 on my 30th birthday, there's just my ex there, which says, yeah, I tried, but, and maybe she didn't. And I fucking wouldn't blame her for that. I mean, like, I mean, I was just a, piece of trash you know i just you know like not 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 you know like handling my life properly you know like so i think a week after that or two weeks after that you know like that weighed a lot on me you know like really really bad and um my cold turkey my cold turkey moment is actually at the time i'm doing like um computer repairs on the road. So I have like a minivan and I fill it up with parts and, and, and repair tools. And I go with people, a lot of elderly people, a lot of people that, you know, like, so that morning I'm going maybe half an hour from home to repair a computer. And when I, and, and sure enough, you know, like I get super high and I had like those drops. So my high don't look too red and I have those cheap perfume so i don't smell like skunk and you know i mean i must have looked like 
trash and and smell like shit. You know, like it, it it must have been a disaster when I knocked on someone's door. You know, like I mean, there's no way I could have hidden what I smelled or what it looked like. But anyway, I'm just about to get out of the van and and can find very I, I, all I can say is like I lost a screwdriver and lost my shit completely lost my mind for one screwdriver and i really need to remember that all of my life that you know like that moment that you know like i'm actually scratching the carpet of my truck and and then like i said you know like it's always about me poor me poor me you know like miserable me i call everyone that that picks up the phone to tell them how much i want to die because i can't find that freaking screwdriver and that's you know like for me it's just like psychos episode you know like it's just i'm just clearly losing my mind for weed remember you know like it's 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 important for people especially here in quebec where we legalized in canada we legalized uh, marijuana and we see more and more states in the u.s if you do have the genetics you know like that the perfect recipe of genetics it's no less harmful than anything else out there you know, like you can get to the same level of despair and of almost depression. And, you know, like I had, I already had those death thoughts in my mind. You know, like I already have those, not suicide with a plan and all, but, you know, like just thinking, okay, so either two things, you know, like if I, if I get into an accident, you know, like I will stop being like a burden for my child and my kids and, and, and girlfriend or if I do get chronically, if I, you know, like I get accident tough, you know, like really grave enough so that, you know, like I get chronic pain, I can justify why I'm smoking weed. You know, like see how much, you know, like my brain was just yeah. messed up, you know. What and happened with that, that t- cold turkey moment when you lost the screwdriver and you were just losing it? Exactly. So I call everyone that, you know, picks up the phone and my father picks up. And all my father said is that, can you please drive slowly home? Just come home. And I'm crying. I'm screaming. I'm, I'm hitting my dash, my, you know, my door dash, you know, like I'm just, I'm anyways. And so I drive slowly back and he doesn't even allow me, not allow, but he doesn't give me the time to get out of my car. He jumps in the car right in the passenger seat and stops the car. He's like, um, what's going on? And I, again, you know, like shout, scream, cry. I can't believe it. You know, like he lets me just vent it off. At some point, you know, like I, it, you know, like kind of my rage crying becomes real crying. You know, like, just like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And Again, you know, like another sentence that I will always remember. He's like, wouldn't you like to help yourself? And that moment for me is just that moment where I let go. I'm like, whatever it is. Yes. Because I, you know, like, I just didn't know what to do. Because, you know, like the, the year before I went in quote unquote therapy and they messed me up even worse, you know, like, so, so for me, it was just like, fuck, it's impossible. You know, like I, there's nowhere I can go that, you know, it's going to fix me. I'm, I'm stuck like that, you know, for a while. And yeah, I mean, seven days later, like a, is it a full week? You know, like, yeah, 
I think it was a full week later, the 24th, I went in therapy. So a closed 21 day therapy based on the 12 steps. Uh -huh. So it's 21 days with about, I would say 25, 30 people, men and women. You could get out any day you want, you know, like if you feel that, you know, like you don't, you know, like you, you shouldn't be there, you know, like you just pack your stuff and leave. But, you know, like I, I made the full 21 days and yeah, I mean, like we did explain what the steps are and not that, you know, like 16 years in, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm not going to tell you that, you know, like I'm a, I'm a full blown hardcore 12 stepper, but it gave me some kind of, you know, like instructions of how to behave and how to be a responsible and decent human being in life, you know, like, so, so yeah, introduced me to meetings, introduced me to 12 step meetings, narcotics anonymous, alcoholics, alcoholics anonymous, even cocaine. And, and you know, like I went to almost everyone at them, you know, because for me, it was that fraternity or that camaraderie of, you know, like of, of seeing people that go through the same pain that you do, you know, like, being cocaine or, or weed or pills or, or whatever, for me, it didn't change a thing. You know, like I felt like dying, even though it was for some, you know, quote unquote, only weed, you know, like, so, yeah. So, you know, like it, it was, it was meeting with, it was, I would say that it was first and foremost, it was meeting within these 21 days, people from all sorts of life. And that was the most impressive or the more eye-opening part of it, you know, like you, you meet with, you know, like a six, I think she was 70, 70 year old grandma that, you know, like a burned up, you know, like, or, or, you know, like all of her dead husband money and her own and burned up her house at casinos for gambling problems. And then you meet like a guy that's, I was 30 and, you meet a 20 year old that's addicted to steroids and, and speed pills. And, and then you meet gay guy that's addicted to ketamine and, and, you know, and, you know, painkillers and, and a lot of cocaine and, you know, like, so it's just realizing that, you know, like, not only are you not alone, but you know, like, there's no, you know, like there's no recipe or, you know, like there's no instructions of, you know, like, Oh, okay. You grow with, you know, like bad parents and, you know, like whatever and whatever. I had none of that. You know, like I had none of the, you know, cause there's, there's a big question about the nature nurtured, you know, there was no nurtured part for me at all. Yes. No one showed me. So what you are saying is that, is that one of the common theories is that people have some kind of trauma in their life and that they use drugs to get over that. Well, you're saying for you, that wasn't the case. It no. was simply that when you got that introduction to high through the gasoline, that that became so attractive, so desirous, that set you on the path. And then it, it sounds like it, it just got more and more central in your life to the point yeah. where you preferenced it over all these other things in your life, relationships, work, uh, for even friendships, children, and yeah. to the point where you, in a way, would behave in ways that you would probably regret and wouldn't behave that way now to them, but because this thing was, this desire was so strong, 
And so, you know, you've really described you know, how it really came to a, a really tragic situation. And then suddenly you went into the 12 steps. So, and, and I understand that it's the camaraderie about the 12 Mostly. steps. Mostly. Was that the main thing for you? Were there other aspects to it? There's definitely that. Because didn't you have camaraderie before with the skater punks? I did. I did. But leading to disaster. (laughs) 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 You know, like, you know, like, I would say, like, the healthy camaraderie of it, you know, like, made it different. The sense of belonging, the pride of abstinence time. You know, like you cherish that still to this day, scared of relapse, still to this day, the fear of going back there, always remembering that they were a scratch the carpet for a fucking screwdriver. (laughs) You know, like always that that is imprinted in my brain. I know the color of the van. I know I know where I'm I'm on all fours. You know, like it's February, snowy. It's, you know, like I know exactly where I'm at. You know, like I'm in Laval, which is like a suburb town of Montreal. You know, like I know, you know, like there's a lot of clear memory of that. But more than anything, you know, like it's, it's, um, it's about realizing that, you know, there are a lot of people that do go through the same situation, great parents, bad parents, fantastic, you know, like, and catching that high, you know, like catching that that feeling is something that, you know, like at all costs. And and then again, you know, like I I, I have to say that, you know, like I, I did try cocaine, for example. But, you know, like I you remember I told you about the books I read. I knew that this was in some of the final chapters of these books. You know, like when, when you started that, you know, like you, you, there weren't many pages of you being alive left. And, yeah, and you know, yeah. uh, so that, you know, like it got me, it got me scared. You know, like I, I got really, really scared about, you know, like the more art, the, the much harder drugs. So I didn't try some of these that my friend did try, but weren't, you know, like weren't the addicted type. So they did try it, but you know, like they didn't want to repeat the experience. When I did try it, I wanted to repeat the experience too much. Didn't have the cash, didn't have, you know, like, definitely didn't have the money for it but on top of that knew that it was almost too not almost it was too good to be through it got me really really worried fast and i would listen to that voice so i I can understand when i met with these people that were addicted to cocaine when in therapy and much later when i did meetings with them i understood it because i got scared of it really really bad yeah and the other thing is they, we we I was talking about that to my father this weekend. It was this weekend, but they do uh, some follow up meetings after a twenty one day of therapy. I, I think it's once every month. You go to the therapy and the kind of the the group that you were with during your you know your stay there. They you know like you, we reunite and just talk about you know, like I was life, and I would see the number go from twelve to ten to eight. Because there's so many relapses and right. shame, and you know, like people didn't want to go back. Some yeah. people did, but then again, you know, like I, I like I said, you know, like I, I got, I got scared of relapse, really, really bad. Yeah, and um, yeah. So 21 days to turn around sounds pretty quick. 
it does after that whole life you know and so you must have um the must what happened after the 21 day inside of you like you had the camaraderie but something else must have changed in you because you didn't have that group there every day after you left the group so it, there's a few things that happen first of all you get you get sober second of all well before that my therapist you know like i told you like you know like i i got in therapy thinking that i only had a weed problem so meet with my therapist the first day and he's like, uh, what about booze? I'm like, I had no problem with booze. Like, oh yeah. Okay. So he's like, I'm going to leave you with one question. I don't want you to answer today. Let's talk about this later this, this week. How fast, how quickly, or how is your first beer drink when you get it? And he's like, just think about it. Don't answer yet. And I remembered and tried to remember that I couldn't freaking remember my first beer. My daily first beer was swallowed at such a pace that I, it didn't exist. I didn't know, you know, like that first beer never existed. That wasn't a beer. That was like a gulp, you know, just like, whoop, and okay, from the second or third moving on, I could start counting, but like that first beer, please. You know, like, so... It hit me like a truck. I was like, holy shit. And like, I'm, am I a drunk too? God damn it. You know, like, <laughs> so that was, you know, like, <laughs> God damn it. I got it all. But, you know, like, so the 21 days, even though it looks like it actually detaches you from the reality, you know, like it, or your reality, it takes you, just kidnaps you from what crazy world you created yourself takes you out of this and when you come back you feel like you've been out for like a hundred years like it's really really weird when you get back and then as you said you know like the camaraderie they do recommend that you do 90 meetings in 90 days so you know like every single you know like every 24 hours you're going to end up at the door of a some church basement or whatever and and meet with folks that have the same sickness you are. And so, you know, like 24 hours comes fast, right? You know, like, so if you do have something that, you know, like happened during lunch or dinner or in the morning or whatever, well, it's only the next, you know, like, sure, you're going to talk about it in the next 24 hours, you know, like, or, or find someone or, or recognize someone that you saw at a previous meeting or whatever. And so quickly, you almost develop that, well, not, you develop that network of people you can call, reach out to, message, you know, like online, and it goes fast, like really, really fast. So you're saying that you, if something happened in your life, you would use drugs to kind of cope with that before? Yeah. I mean, especially alcohol. You know, like alcohol was a great excuse to whatever. You know, like you have something to say, you're too shy to say it. Well, yeah. get hammered and... So that means that that means it for you it was more than just getting high. It also became a medication, so to speak, or a way yeah, of yeah. coping emotionally with with situations and and then the meetings, the daily meetings helped you to unpack that so that it didn't kind of keep building up. Is that right? Yeah, and in some way it was the 
you don't realize it before, you know, like, or while you're doing it, but you know, like it was, it was just part of my healthy diet, daily diet. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. So, so did it help? I mean, like it was just part of it. I couldn't go without, you know, like I, I, I was driving a lot at the time. So alcohol couldn't be my, my daily intake. You know, like it was, there was no way, like I didn't want to drive drunk, but but weed was just like, it was under my seat. I had like a small, ironic, you know, like it was, it was a kid's shoebox. So I could plank it under my seat. And, you know, it was full of weed. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, like that whole paraphilia of, of stuff that I could, you know, like do my thing with. And mm-hmm. uh, there was no way I would leave home without that. You know, like, it, you know so it was, it was just what I've had you know, like a much tougher time dealing with stuff without, I can tell you, you know, like there was, there was no way I would be without, but you know, like one thing for, I can tell you is that one of the most exciting time or what created the most buzz was when I was trying to put the kids to sleep or putting the kids to sleep and go in my car and driving to kind of renew, you know, like, or buy my next batch of weed that half an hour of driving was my probably the most high I would have. Mm. And as soon as I smoked my first joint out of that ounce of, of weed, I just purchased my brain. It was already almost like a down because my brain was already trying to calculate. I will find money to buy again. Yeah. Yeah. So can I take you back to or forward to after you're sober and you're not using alcohol or weed, you must have, when you had these, you know, things happen in your life, you must have, you know, through the conversations you had with, with these, with people and within yourself, you must have developed more emotional, emotional skills, I guess, to cope with yes. life. Absolutely. And you know, like it's, it's, um, I think it is, you know, like the, one thing that people, all your listeners need to remember is that, you know, like the genesis of all of the anonymous movements, you know, like the 12 step pro- programs are based on two individuals, one called Dr. Bob and the, the other one called Bill Watson. Bill Watson was a, like a stock trader that, you know, crashed with the, in the 1920s and found through an organization called the, I won't remember it, but you know, like there was an organization that was quite, Christian and you know like super religious that did try you know like to to make made made people abstinent and so he gets a few weeks or a few months of abstinence and go back on the road he was he was traveling for for his work and ends up in Ohio and um, legend says that you know like when I was when he was at the hotel got at the hotel lobby bar and got really really thirsty for a drink starts calling churches couldn't grab a hold of anyone and finally reaches out to hospital, we, which he ends up with the secretary of Dr. Bob. And he, he grabs a hold of Dr. Bob and Dr. Bob, he says, don't come here. I'm a finished drunk. I'm bad, bad to be hanging around with, especially if you don't want to have a drink. And Bill mentions that, no, 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 you're precisely the guy I'm looking for. <laughs> I need to talk to you. 
he had already, Bill already knew that, you know, like talking to another drunk helped him. So again, legend mentions that, you know, like he ends up meeting with Dr. Bob that night and they talk for eight hours straight, drinking a ton of coffee and, and realized after that eight hour of chatting that they weren't thirsty, neither of them. And long story short, you know, like from there, you know, like they built what became the 12 step programs and the Alcoholics Anonymous. I always keep that in the back of my mind that, you know, like it's, it's, um, by some messed up magic, when I do talk to someone else that's going through, that's abstinent and, 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 you know, like is going through an addiction for some odd reason that I can't explain. It seems that, you know, like we, we understand each other and I, I lose whatever habits, you know, like inhibits me of, you know, like, you know, whatever it is, you know, like I, I, I can't say that I got, you know, like in 16 years that I got like, um, sickly thirsty or sickly need of, you know, like having, you know, like going back to, to using, you know, like I'm, I probably blessed of that because I've seen people really have like crazy obsessions of going back, but you know, like to, to answer your question, sometimes it's all about, you know, like just, just talking more, you know, like, so is it emotional intelligence? Is it, maybe it is, but you know, like, it's all about, sometimes it's, it's crazy ideas you have in your mind. And by the time you say it, you know, like you feel, you, you know, like you feel better about it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give you a quick example of that. My daughter was probably, it was, it was very early when we, because after 18 months, when I got back from therapy, we separated my, my ex and I, the mother of the child of mine and I. So I had my, I had um, every couple of weekends, I had my kids. And one weekend, she, my, my daughter, which was really, really young, she probably was four, maybe five on Sunday morning. And I was not in good terms with my ex. You know, like we, we separated, we still aren't on good terms. So, you know, like it was really like a bad, bad separation. She bites her brother. My daughter bites her brother, which was a few years older. And my parents told me that, you know, like if you want to have a young kid stop biting as a parent, you bite the kid yourself and he's going to stop this, you know, like it's going to quick, quick fix to, uh, and so I do that right away. I feel like shit, you know, and my, my daughter is, uh, you know, like, like almost porcelain skinned blonde with blue eyes. Like, so, so or like our, she, she marks like nothing. Right. You know, like, so even though I didn't bite hard, she gets like a little bit mark on her arm. Cry, cry, cry. Like it, it lasts a few minutes, but you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm dropping my kids back to their moms in the evening. Right. You know, like, so maybe it's 10 o'clock in the morning. I feel like shit, you know, like I'm, I'm really, you know, like I can't, you know, like I'm freaking out. So I, I go in the internet and trying to get this mark to, to disappear. You know, like I'm freak, I'm just freaking out. You know, like imagine, you know, like my ex going to see that she's going to freak out. Blah, 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 blah. So get the kids in the car, drive to my parents. I'm like, mom, you know, like <laughs> I need to, <laughs> have that mark disappear. I'm, I'm freaking out. I'm just freaking out. And, you know, I can, I can still tell you that, you know, like scrubbing some cucumbers and, and a penny. And, you know, like I tried every tricks on the internet and, you know, like heist, everything still doesn't work. Drops the kids and 
like I told you, like I wasn't in good, in good terms. So she's like, I should fucking call the police, you fucking piece of shit. And you're like, like the old thing, right? You're like, so I got by in my car. Not only am I going to miss my kids for two weeks, but I feel like less than crap. You know, like I, I'm, I'm call my sponsor crying. Like I called my sponsor and by telling him the story right away, a hundred tons got off my shoulder. Wow. Again, I don't understand how and why. And so fast forward two weekends later, get my kids again, pa, 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 pa. And every Sunday, yeah, you know, because like, it was early in my separation, every Sunday when I dropped off the kids, you know, like I would be, you know, like I, it was like a 45, 50 minute ride. So I would cry a lot in that ride back home, you know, because I was going back home alone and it was, it was really tough for me. So I called back my sponsor. So, and, you know, like just for, to vent off, you know, like that, that feeling that weigh on me and, um, how was your weekend? And, you know, like, so I tell him, yeah, I did that. Went to the park, blah, blah, blah. And he just throws, uh, have you been to your daughter? I'm like, why are you asking that? He's like, I'm just telling you that, you know, like you've grown, you haven't been, you know, like you've learned, you know, like you've learned something, you've grown. You're not going to repeat those mistakes again. And, you know, like you, you're a better human being, which is for, you know, like a weird story, but just to tell you, like, by exchanging and talking a lot, forcingly, you know, like some stuff that just by telling it, you realize that, Jesus Christ, and like, look at what I'm doing, you know, like, and, and you, you tend not to repeat those things. And it's, so what, it's, yeah. So what you're saying, it's very, very powerful what you're saying because, in a way, you're saying that just the kind of strange magic of talking to someone else who understands you, but not just talking to anyone, somebody that you know understands where you're at, what mm-hmm. you're going through, somehow relieves that emotional burden from you yeah. at that time. It's amazing, isn't it? And remember you said back a while ago when you're having those psychotic moments was all about you, like me, me, me. I wonder, I'm just making the connection that when someone else, when you talk to someone and, and they recognise you, in a way they're really they're recognising you as you are, whereas before those psychotic moments it's like you're all alone. You know, so it's about you, but you're all alone. And the difference here is that is that you're able to see yourself and someone else is seeing you through the kind of recognition, the mutual recognition of that. And then you somehow so closed anymore, you're more open to the world and and uh, free to, you know, to interact. And yeah, and you're, quite- you're, you're pulling the strings of that other person you're talking to that you recognize into as you're, explaining your story, seeing that person that which or the persons that which you talk to that acknowledges that feeling not only makes you less alone, but you're pulling those strings, those same emotional strings that you do recognize yourself into. And so there's definitely something around that. But then again, for me, it's really, really weird because it's just, and you know, like that, you know, like that story of biting, you know, like I should, you know, like I should be ashamed of telling that story but I don't feel any shame and any guilt in telling yeah. that story. Yeah. And just to tell you a few months later, a few weeks, very little later, 
I'm asked to share my story in a low security jail, low security prison. And I, I'm relieved from, you know, like all of the feelings of that, right? So it's a man prison. I go there and tell my story and I finish with, with it had just happened, right? You know, like, so seeing how I feel better having shared my sponsor that thing, I tell that story. And I see a few jailmates just standing up and getting the hell out of the room. And someone told me, it's like, like after the meeting, it's like, wow, you feel relieved and you feel, you really feel free of the guilt and, you know, like the shame of that story. But let me tell you, like the place you are right now, hurting a kid can, you know, like some jailmate can really, really hurt you bad knowing that you hurt a kid. I'm like, well, I didn't realize that because, you know, for me is that, yes, I did hurt her, but, you know, like it wasn't, it's, you know, like it's, it's the much bigger picture of that story that, you know, like it's, yeah, it's, totally. it's, it's eye-opening, you know, like. Yeah. You were trying to teach her a lesson, but in doing it the best way you knew how at the time you felt regret about that. Yeah. About, cause she was in pain temporarily, but you know, so, but what you're saying is that, by sharing your story with someone who understands and can really see you, you become free of those difficult emotions like guilt or shame. And you're actually able to let it go in a way. Yeah. Yeah. This is, um, that's been really, really eye opening and interesting. It's such a simple kind of human interaction you know that we all in a way benefit from when we talk to each other like when we're understood when we're seen it has a healing effect and, and a freeing effect in ourselves and yeah and for me community in general does that you know like when you find you know like you, you see that for i don't know like passionate of cars you know, like passionate where they you know like they spend yeah to my to my understanding, too much money, right? From from my perspective, too much money. But when they reunite, they yeah. can justify and you know, like they they. But you know, like for, <laughs> that's maybe a bad example. But you you understand what you know, like where, you know, like the the, the sense of community yeah. helps you feel better with whatever it is. You know, like so yeah. so, and my sponsor is someone that I can. You know, like that's why you know, like one of the first thing I tell people is. Find someone that you have a hundred percent trust in. Yeah. Not not persons, one human being to whom telling anything that comes in your life or anything that comes in your mind that you can confess and be, you know, like that you know reliable of not sharing that back and not telling others. And someone that has no direct connection with you. That's another important thing. You can't do that with your wife. You can't do that with your parents or, or your best buddy. That's not it. You're finding someone that is completely reliable that you absolutely trust. Sometimes you have like either like weird thought in your mind, but if you just don't share it, it's going to stay linger and, and way more and, and just keeps staying and sitting there and you know almost dust <laughs> covers it and and weighs in more and just yeah 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 no I really really hear what you're saying there about you know the benefit of really confiding in someone 
Yeah. I'm just really aware of the time and um, I know that we could keep going and I'd kind of like to, but but I also feel a responsibility that, that we need to um, wind things up. So I just want to say thank you so much, Alex, not only for being here, but also for really sharing so openly your whole story and really letting us really understand where you were and how difficult that was. And then, and then also to understand you know, the magic of, you know, how, how you've found the healing in, in, with other people. It's um, yeah. I really enjoyed talking with you. It was a pleasure, Michael. And, you know, like I want the listeners to remember where it came from, you know, like, cause I know, you know, like we're in 2021, a lot of these fraternities and associations of, you know, based on 12 steps, have a hard time evolving. You know, like I, I always say as a joke that, you know, like I don't see any marketing of these places on Facebook, Instagram, and some of the new medias. But, you know, like, you know, like if, if, if you feel that, you know, like you, you know, like some, you know, you could belong or feel a sense of belonging to some of them, not only are you, you know, like you, you people should give them a chance, but, you know, like it's almost our responsibility to make them evolve, you know, like, but, but the genesis and the foundation of it all, it's only two people that talk to each other and got rid of their alcoholism, you know, again, and that's it. Like, that's it. And it was a pleasant sharing with you as it was when you were a guest on mine, you like, you like, we could have, you know, could have talked for hours. So it was a, I had a blast. Thank you. Me too. Thank you. All right. Until we speak again. Take care. Bye. Bye.